for all the people that are listening and watching on YouTube. My very special guest today is Sarah Payton, author, international speaker, and neuroscience educator dedicated to helping you transform your brain into a kinder, cozier place to live. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you, Zach. How are you doing? I'm doing extremely well. I want to say thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the Life Coach Zach podcast. I know we don't really know each other that well, but I'm very passionate about consciousness. And it started out with the science of consciousness, reading a lot about Dr. Joe Dispenza and how our thoughts change the physiology in our body and our DNA and neuroplasticity, XYZ, et cetera. And I'm really excited to speak with you today and to learn about what your expertise is and just have a really good conversation about happiness because that's really Mm. the end goal here, right? Is Yes, yes. Happiness, possibly happiness, also possibly meaning, a sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. The scientists find that some people really like having happiness, that that gives their life a sense of of being right, and that other people are like, well, happiness is all well and good, but what I really like is meaning. So we can go for either one, and they're both just as nice for our bodies and our immune systems and our brains. (sighs) Amazing. Maybe we can even talk about both. I wanted to say thank you so much for sending me this copy of your resonant self-workbook from self-sabotage to self-care. And I'm really looking forward to going through it and filling it out. There's a ton of engaging activities in here and examples. Um, You speak a lot about neuroscience. For all the people that are listening that don't know much about neuroscience, can you explain neuroscience as simply as possible? Oh, absolutely. The most wonderful thing about neuroscience is that it has a branch that's called relational neuroscience that lets us study how our brains affect each other, how we are changed by relationship, which is what got me into this world of of talking about it all over the world. And uh, because I'm fascinated that we are so affected by one another's brains and beings. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about how we change our brains, uh, change our thoughts, change our brains, change our neurochemistry, but we're also changing it in the people around us when we're uh, changing the way that we talk and there's sort of like words are you know how inside the brain the neurotransmitters are what help the neurons talk to each other it's sort of like words are people's external neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. yeah okay so basically long story short neuroscience is how our thoughts and feelings and emotions change the biology of our body is that relational neuroscience yeah i mean neuroscience as a whole is an enormous field which takes all kinds of things including traumatic brain injury and the way that emotional trauma affects us and what part of the brain does what and what's the what's the connectome look like what part of the brains are connected to other part of the brain and so yeah but relational neuroscience is all about how how we're changed by first our moms, whoever our mothering person is, whatever gender they are, they are the most important person for a baby in our Western world. And, and that person's brain has an enormous impact on our brain. Mm-hmm. We, uh, my favorite uh, epigeneticist's name is Moshe Gif, and he works in Toronto. 
uh, and oh, no, no, Montreal. And he says uh, that our mother is in every cell of our prefrontal cortex. So the way that our mom treated us and treats herself gets embedded in eight million, eight billion cells inside of our prefrontal cortex. And that's like a lot of influence right there on how our brains work. And so a little bit of what we're doing is we're creating often, I mean, some of us have perfectly delightful and happy mothers, but in terms of happiness, sometimes we need to do a little bit of a mother upgrade for those 8 billion cells. Mm, absolutely. So how can someone use neuroscience to optimize their experience, optimize their relationships, and ultimately optimize their life? Well, the very first thing I think is learning about the importance of self-warmth, that the most important thing is like if we were standing beside ourselves, if there were a Sarah standing right here, would she just kind of be radiating warmth and affection and love and care to this Sarah? Or would she be sitting over there judging her and saying, you're not good enough. You're not doing the right thing. How could you have made that mistake? What are you talking about? That's not what Zach asked. <laughs> and then, so, so that's the question, like, what is the self that's that's the considering self? How are they with us? And the warmer they are with us, the better our immune system does and the better our brain does and the cozier it is inside of these these brain bowls that we carry around. So showing a lot more self-compassion to ourselves. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and actual genuine affection. Like we can have compassion for people we don't like very much. Yeah, but what about actual genuine affection for ourselves? Genuine affect, loving ourselves unconditionally. Yeah, and enjoying ourselves and having some delight in our beings. Mm -hmm. Having some delight in our beings, yeah. following our passion and living with purpose and seeking fulfillment and accomplishment and service and providing value to other people. And, you know, it, yeah. it's... Yeah, and, and like if we don't know what our passion is and we don't know what our life path is to be able to follow it, just going, it's okay, honey. You know, just like, yeah, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You still are to totally beloved. You are still totally delighted. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's yeah. very ironic that we're talking about this right now because I feel like everything that we've mentioned is about our thoughts because our thoughts create emotions, right? Without, without thoughts, we can't really have emotions. So how does someone really become more aware of their thoughts and how does someone create a more healthy relationship with the voice inside their head? Well, a part of what we're talking about is that it may be that our thoughts create our emotions, but it also may be that our bodies are having a response to the world around us and that that's sort of putting into both thoughts and emotions because our bodies really uh, carry the record of, the, of every experience that we've had. And so we can, we can be looking at how do, how do our bodies create our emotions and how do our thoughts create our emotions, sort of like the bottom up work and the top down work, both are so important for having, uh, for having a, a warm and cozy place to live inside of our mm -hmm. brains. 
So the, the bodies, our bodies are particularly vulnerable to whatever kinds of physical traumas we've lived mm-hmm. through. What kinds of, well, how have people treated us? Have people been respectful and kind with our bodies? Have there been violations and intrusions? Have we been hurt by other humans? Have we been hurt in automobile accidents? Have we been hurt in natural events, floods, earthquakes? All of these things are going to very much impact our body's sense of whether or not this is a safe world that we live in. And a part of what makes us calm is a sense of safety. So we need to be safe from the bottom up and we need to be safe from the thoughts down. So part of what happens with trauma in little kids is that whenever we live through anything that's difficult before we're nine years old, our natural brain pattern is to blame ourselves. If only we were different, the bad thing would not have happened. So we have um, a, a, a kind of a record of our own uh, history of self-blame whenever we hear our critical inner voice. If Sarah is standing here and going, Sarah, what the heck, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? It's very likely that Sarah as a whole has lived through experiences where she may have received shame, judgment, humiliation for the way that she spoke. And so this voice is trying, the observing voice is trying to make her safe. Mm -hmm. And that's really what our critical voices are always doing. They're trying to make us safe and make sure we blend in and fit in with the people around us, the people who are important to us. What are their judgments? What, how do they see the world? What do they think is important? Our critical inner voice will take their ideas about what's important and begin to kind of try to pressure us. And it can be a cruel pressure or it can be a warm and supportive and nurturing and encouraging kind of pressure that has a whole different feeling for our bodies of kind of being uplifted and, and uh, carried yeah. along rather than being um, the target of our own scorn. Right. And there's so many external circumstances, like you said, our fam- our mother, where we grew up, um, where we live right now, our job, and, and yeah. things that happened to us when we were a kid trauma, physical, mental, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, 8 billion plus people on this earth. And on, on a macro scale, I feel like the biggest issue and correct me if I'm wrong is lack of awareness because all the, all of everything you're saying makes so much sense. And, and it's helping me so much and I'm learning so much already. We've only been talking for 11 minutes, but for the, for the person that does not meditate, for the person who does not yeah. disidentify from their emotions, from the person that doesn't even realize that they're thinking about what they're, the person that doesn't think about what they're thinking about, right? The person that reacts right. on their emotion, the person that reacts impulsively yeah. on their thoughts, right? How can someone cultivate more awareness so they can begin this journey of self-compassion and relational neuroscience? What a wonderful question. I noticed myself that uh, I would read about meditating and I'd think, gosh, that sounds like a good idea. Then I'd try to meditate. But as soon as I tried to meditate, I was opening the door for the critical voice. 
And it was a bit like bloodbath before I started working on my own brain. So it was like meditation did not seem like a good thing. <laughs> Thinking about my thoughts did not seem like a good thing. The very best idea for me, it was I grew up before video games. Like I would just I would read compulsively. I was like, OK, if I can get my brain going on a book, then I'm not going to be able to have enough brain energy left over to beat myself up. Nowadays, people use video games and they are so effective stopping the default mode network the automatic voice of the brain and so so i think the first thing is uh to remember that it's not truth it's trauma like when our brain is beating us up it's not truth we think it's truth it feels like truth but it's not truth it's trauma and once we start to integrate that then then there's like a kind of a grace that comes, I think. Like somebody just happens to listen to this podcast. It's a moment of grace where they go, oh, I really like what Zach's saying. Maybe I could have a little warm curiosity about my mm -hmm. brain. Maybe I could have a little yes. bit of, uh, of a sense of, yes. of, uh, of exploration. Yeah, of exploration. Like that meditation is like a a journey and adventure into unknown territory filled with dragons, filled yeah. with terrible beasts. And, <laughs> and those are the beasts and dragons mm. of trauma. And, and maybe it would be, maybe it would be a good thing because there's so many good things that come with meditation. Our imp immune system improves, our, our mood improves, our reactivity decreases. We're nicer to the people uh -huh. we live with as long as we're doing the kind of meditation that increases self-warmth. If we're doing the kind of meditation that just increases our capacity to focus, then we just become better at focusing. We don't become nicer to anybody. <laughs> I love that. And I, I want to thank you so much for one of the things you just said in your answer is the fact that someone listening to this podcast is going to be like, hey, maybe I should create more awareness around my thoughts. And if, if that is happening, and I know for a fact it is, it gives me so much more conviction to continue where I'm where I'm heading, right? Because this podcast, I started this podcast last year, and I'm so thankful and grateful that I'm able to have conversations and connect to people just like you. And I'm getting to learn, and I'm receiving so much wisdom. And there's other people that are going to learn as well. And you know, it seems like, and this might be a little weird, we're all growing and lifting each other up together. And I don't know what yeah. the catalyst for that is, but what's really important is people like you on this earth, Sarah, and people like me on this earth that want to grow, that want to get better, that want to give love and service and fill our own hearts with peace and joy. Yes. yes so yes, what's yes. one way that we can fill ourselves up with more peace and joy? Um, the, the checking into this possibility. Can I turn toward myself with true affection? Is that possible? Because sometimes people have contracts that get in the way of being warm with themselves. So having a curiosity about contracts, unconscious contracts we might have, which is what all of you, the Your Resonant Self workbook is about, um, can be a way to open the door to, to, to self-warmth. So for example, I've worked with people who have a contract. I will not be warm to myself in order to make sure that I am authentic and to make sure that, uh, that I do not become consumed in inauthentic warmth. warmth. It's much better 
to be authentic and cold than it is to be inauthentic and warm. And those people have lived through someone being inauthentically warm with them. It's like it's made warmth toxic. They've got it entangled in their brain that warmth equals inauthenticity. And so then you say, okay, is this no matter the cost to you, you're going to believe that warmth equals toxicity? And they go, yeah, no matter the cost to myself. Then we can say, is this a good contract? Is this a good contract for you to have? Is this really life serving? <laughs> and oftentimes they'll say, gosh, no, it's not life serving at all. Let me let go of that contract. I release you from this contract. I revoke this vow. I give myself the blessing to get that warmth and toxicity are not necessarily the same thing. That it's okay to be warm without it being cloying or overly sweet or inauthentic or toxic. It's just warmth. It's just a good thing. That's good for my immune system and good for my brain and good for, good for me. So that's an example of some of the kinds of work that we can do that start to open the door to more capacity and more willingness. And I, more I love that. What's the word I'm looking for? I guess that thought about being warm to yourself and you continue to use the word warmth and it's such a powerful word. You know, it, it combines love and appreciation and so many other emotions all in one. And yeah, comfort, oh, tenderness. That. Any more? Comfort, tenderness. Yeah. Comfort, tenderness, oh. affection, sweetness, um, well-being, um, relaxation. <laughs> relaxation is a good one because as you were talking, I, I released yeah. so much tension from my body and I'm mm. fully yeah. present here in this conversation. Sarah, what are some of the oh. things that you're passionate about and that you are trying to learn more about? Uh, just recently, I've been very interested in some new research that's come out about hatred and how close hatred is to love. And so I've been become, I've become very, very interested in what are the moments when our love turns to hatred, what is the disbalance that's occurring? How is there a betrayal that needs to be named? And um, and I, I find I'm just, yes, it has me completely fascinated that the researchers have found hatred and found it in the brain and that it is almost identical to love except for one small detour in the path that it travels. So that's one of the things that I'm really interested in because I really like, like, I really like authenticity. Like what is, <laughs> what is it in our brains that makes us petty? What is it that makes us jealous? What is it that makes us envious? What is it that gives us hatred? Like how, what happens if we have a radical self-warmth that even encompasses those things that we often think of negatively or judge ourselves for? What happens if we start to acknowledge that these things come from trauma and from relational disbalance and from loss and from not being able to grieve. I'm always interested in what do brains do when they don't get to grieve? They often go towards negativity and mm. towards blame. So, so accompanying one another in grief also seems like such an incredibly important and life-serving thing that we often don't think about when we're thinking about how can I be happier? You know, I mean, it's sort of paradoxical. The way we can be happier is to grieve more, because as soon as we're, as soon as we get to do our grieving, 
there's sort of this natural lightness that starts mm. to reassume. What are the highs without the lows? What's happiness without sadness? Mm. What's yeah. love without hate? And it's so ironic also <laughs> that you were talking about this study or research that just, just came out about love and hate and how similar they are. And when we say similar, you mean similar as far as brain waves and physiologically inside our body? Yeah. Well, where the, it's actually what the, what track do the, do, do we see the energy and information Got traveling it. on in the brain in fMRI And, pictures. you know, the word love is a four letter word and the word hate is a four letter word. And, you know, we can say the word till we're blue in the face, but there are no proper words that can articulate what it actually means. You know, the word hate is just a yeah. post sign. And the way someone interprets hate and the way yeah. someone else interprets hate are, are two different completely things. And we use love and hate as opposites, as as polarizing emotions, but uh, it's really impossible to encapsulate or verbalize exactly what that word yeah. means. And uh, yeah. And you would think that since we think of them and feel of them, feel them as opposites, that, you know, love would be here and hate would be here, you know, that <laughs> but instead they're just so close. I'm completely, I'm completely fascinated. Incredible. I'm, compl I'm fascinated by humans, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> we are a very unique species. And uh, it, are we, let me ask you a question. I'm not really sure this is, this is something I just thought about. Are we the only species in the kingdom that can be aware of our own awareness? Well, they do these wonderful and very sweet uh, pieces of research with animals and mirrors mm -hmm. to see, who, see which animals notice that they have a reflection and that they put, they can put a white, a white mark on, animals foreheads and see who who goes to rub it off when they see themselves in the mirror and that seems to imply that you know we share a consciousness of self with some animals <laughs> dogs don't notice supposedly except for people who really like dogs say that the dogs notice but they just don't care that they have a white mark on their forehead <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> But different different primates uh, wipe it off, and I think elephants wipe it off and notice it. I mean, mm -hmm. we are of this world, you know, in a beautiful way. We are, we are mammals, and we are here with our mammal cousins, the animals who have so much to to share with us and teach us. Love that, love that, Sarah. I want to thank you so much again for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Is there anything? you want to leave the audience with today. Yes, just it's not truth, it's trauma. If your brain is mean to you, it's not truth, it's trauma. Even if you don't know what the trauma is, even if you're like, I've had no trauma, we can actually inherit trauma from past generations. So if we have a cruel voice inside, it's not truth, it's trauma. It's not truth, it's trauma. Our thoughts are just thoughts, you are you, you're not your thoughts. You're just the awareness of your thoughts. Yeah. That's it. To everyone that's listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can learn more about Sarah and connect with her at sarahpayton.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-P-E-Y-T-O-N.com. 
to all the people watching on YouTube, thank you so much for sticking around till the end. I'm going to drop a couple links below where you can learn more about Sarah, train with Sarah, see some private sessions with Sarah, and also get a copy of a few of her books. Sarah, thank you so much for everything. Thank you. And if there's anything I can do to help you out, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here with you.